Good morning, church. Our reading this morning is Psalm 46. And um, let me remind you that it's God's word that we're reading from. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy places where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In 2020, the first year of lockdown, a study by the HSRC found that 33% of South Africans were depressed. Uh, 45% felt fearful and 29% faced loneliness in the first lockdown. In 2022, Wits University reported on a study which was called Mental Health in South Africa is at Shocking Levels but people are not seeking help. That was the title of the article. And they, their conclusion was that the study revealed that South Africans suffer higher rates of depression and anxiety than other countries. It is a time of trouble. We live in a time of trouble, don't we? Uh, it wouldn't be an overstatement to say that actually everybody that's ever lived has lived in a time of trouble. But we also are included in that. Who knows what this year holds for the world? Doesn't the world seem so insecure at the moment? What, what does the year hold for us as a country in an election year with, somebody said, over 300 parties registering for the election, such uncertainty that lies ahead? What does the year hold for you as a family? What does the year hold for you as an individual? I've loved how Trudette has chosen the songs for this morning because all of the songs have really just driven us to this passage, haven't they? There have been songs about the security that we have in Jesus. In a world full of insecurity, there is a place that is safe. And so how can we find help in an upside-down world? How do we as Christians live in a world that is dangerous, that is unpredictable, that is chaotic, that's full of threat? Is there anything that will make us feel secure? And that's really what this psalm is answering. It's such a help to us, this psalm. It reminds us of the great truths that we already know, truths that will help to center us, truths that we need to be reminded of often, truths that we ought to be talking to our children about, meditating on, clinging to. It really gives us the mental furniture um, that we need to deal with the situation that we find ourselves in, whatever that may be for you, over the next few months. It's a psalm that lets us feel our feelings. 
What a wonderful thing that is. Christians, don't, don't, we don't have to pretend. We can, we can feel our feelings. The Bible encourages us to do that, and the psalmist models that for us, actually. We can feel our feelings, but it gives us uh, the great comfort that God is with us. It gently leads us back to that great truth. Now, of course, this psalm is not the full bottle on the subject of anxiety. The Bible has more to say about that, but it's a good start for us at the beginning of this year. Can I say as a sidebar that when it comes to anxiety and depression, there is much help to be received from mental health professionals, both medically and therapeutically. We are not against that. All truth is God's truth, even if it comes from a pagan if it's true, then it's God's truth. For God is truth, the Bible says. And so we receive with gratitude from God the help that Western medicine has to offer. But here is God's voice to us this morning in this psalm. In the midst of uncertainty and anxiety and unpredictability, here is Psalm 46. Now, the structure of the psalm is not difficult to see. Verses 1 to 3, God is sovereign over creation. Verses 4 to 7, God is present with his people. God, verse 8 and 9, God is sovereign not just over creation, but over history as well. And then in verse 10 um, and 11, God speaks for the first time. And we hear him give two commands and one promise. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. First, verses 1 to 3, God is sovereign over creation. The world, I don't need to tell you, is a dangerous and unpredictable place. A thousand things can go wrong in the world. Just this week, I don't know about you, but in the holidays, I really just lost all appetite for reading the news. I just needed a break. It's like so discouraging, you know. War, flooding, racism, hatred. The list is endless. Uh, Leon Fisser told me this week that the trees in Stellenbosch are being eaten by a beetle whose reproduction has been spurred on by global warming, and it might be that in 10 to 15 years' time, Stellenbosch will be denuded of the great oaks, some of which are hundreds of years old. Now, I don't know, that like makes me anxious. Doesn't it make you anxious? Like... You know, Stellenbosch, maybe some of you wouldn't move here if you knew that. <laughs> Stellenbosch is known for its oaks, you know, and not just its oaks. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think the original hearers of Psalm 46 would be worried about global warming. They would actually be thinking about Genesis 1. Do you remember what happens in Genesis 1? God takes chaos and he turns it into order merely by speaking effortlessly, and his word is unopposed and obeyed immediately. They would be remembering how from the deep chaotic waters that surrounded the earth, God made dry land. And then he formed a stable earth with mountains steadfast and immovable, rooted in the land that God had formed. And as they read verse 2 and 3, they're seeing creation in reverse. Look at verse 2. Therefore we will not fear, 
Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Back in Genesis chapter 1, the equation was chaos plus God's word equals order. Previously, though, now immovable mountains are marching back into that deep and chaotic state of formlessness. It feels like creation is being rewound to the psalmist. Or perhaps they would be thinking of the great flood when God took the earth back to the state that it was in before he began creation, covered in the deep, the uncreation of the world. The word for God in this part of the psalm is the word Elohim. The word Elohim is the word that is used throughout Genesis 1 as God Elohim creates over the six days. I guess the psalmist is saying to us that the world we live in might be different to the world of Genesis 1, but God isn't. He's the same God. He's still Elohim, even when creation looks like it's in reverse. Our security comes not from what has been made. Our security comes from the one who has made it. Our security comes not from people or politicians or passports or bank accounts. Our security comes from God. It's very human for us to look to what God has made to find our security rather than to God himself. Perhaps I'll be safe if I move to Europe or Australia. But God is our refuge, not Australia. What are you going to say to the Christian in North Korea or South Sudan? God is our refuge, not your country or your government. There is no absolute security in this world. There is no created thing that is immune from uncertainty or insecurity. Christians do not put their trust in created things, for all created things come to an end, including mountains and trees, including health and youth and relationships. No, we put our trust in the Creator, in Elohim, the only immovable. I need to be reminded of that at the beginning of this year, don't you? I wonder if uh, verse 2 and 3, just to maybe stretch it a little bit, isn't a good description of your life. Maybe you feel like your life is descending into chaos. It can happen in the blink of an eye, can't it? That diagnosis or that divorce, or that financial turnaround, or that bereavement, or that retrenchment. It can happen in a second. In one moment, our lives can crash into the sea with its roaring and foaming waters. The psalmist is looking at the world and he's saying, when the world descends into chaos, we will not fear. Well, how can it be? Well, he wants us to see that when it comes to creation, God sovereignly stands behind it all. 
Verse 6, the earth melts. Look at verse 6. It's an astonishing verse. We don't believe in a prosperity gospel. We believe in an adversity gospel. Look at verse 6. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. Who's in control? Look at verse 8. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations that he has brought on the earth. Do you think it's out of his control? In the midst of an aging, crumbling, unstable creation, where do we turn? The answer is to go to the creator, the one who is sovereign over nature, for he is the only one who actually has a track record of having mastered the chaos. And so in the moments when the world falls apart, when your personal private world falls apart, everything coming undone, when Elohim is there, the master of chaos, he's our rock, he's unchanging. And so let's begin the year reaffirming our trust in our creator. Second stanza is verses 4 to 6. God is present with his people. Let me read it for us. There is a river, verse 4, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Do you know, it struck me uh, this week as I was thinking about the psalm that Christians are not unique in their view of a God who is all-powerful and almighty and sovereign over creation. Muslims have that view as well. They would agree with us. But here is the difference. This stanza is the difference. Not only do we believe in a powerful, sovereign, transcendent God who is sovereign over creation, but we also believe in a God who is imminent and present with us. Verses 4 to 6 is really entirely unique. This great, awesome, powerful God is also with us in the city. He's in the midst of the city, in the gathering of his people. He's here this morning by his Spirit. And if you are a believer, he is with you every moment of the day. And notice the contrast of imagery. We go from the boiling sea to a calm river. Don't think of the Easter of fear in September last year. We're not talking about that kind of river. A calm river. The Israelites didn't like the sea. They feared it. They were not a seafaring nation. But here is a place of refuge, a place without the chaos of the boiling, foaming, unpredictable sea. Instead, a calm and a peaceful river, a really a reminder of the Garden of Eden that was watered by rivers. Instead of the earth giving way, verse 2, and melting, verse 6, here is a place that is secure and stable. Verse 5, she will not fall. A good place, a place where God himself dwells. In the midst of the storm, there is a place where we can go and find peace and safety. It's called the city of God, the place where the Most High dwells. The original readers would have had Eden in mind, but they also would have had Jerusalem in mind, which was also called 
the city of God and meant to reflect God's intent of creation in one way or another. And it did for a very short time reflect peace and prosperity and security with its imposing temple, the great symbol of God's presence amongst them. It was a city you wanted to live in. It's a city we want to live in. We want to emigrate to that city. How do we get into that city? You know, the answer comes in the change in the Hebrew of the name of God. In the first stanza, his name is Elohim. But here, did you notice what he's called? In verse 7, as well as in verse 11, he's called the God of Jacob. No longer called Elohim. Elohim is the creator God. The God of Jacob is the personal God. Do you remember Jacob, grandson of Abraham? A swindler and a deceiver, uh, probably a candidate for the Zondo Commission, I would have thought. He even in Genesis 32 even tries to hustle God. Unbelievable. And yet, God loved him and forgave him and was faithful to him and accepted him and became his friend. The God of Jacob means the God of friendship. The covenant God, the God who wants to be friends with you and who wants to draw you into personal relationship with you. Not only is he mighty and powerful and Elohim, but he is the one who regards sinners and who enters into relationship with them. The one who is with us is the God of sinners. The personal, relational God of Jacob can be your God this morning through the Lord Jesus Christ, for he's not called the God of Jacob in the New Testament anymore. He is called the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so those who are in Christ can be in relationship with the God of Jacob. The city of God for us today is found in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The original hearers, it was Jerusalem, it can't be that today, can it? Especially today. It's not that anymore. It's point, it was pointing in the Old Testament to something else. It is Jesus. It's the place where Jesus is enthroned. The ultimate fortress of God which we know are the new heavens and the new earth, but it begins today in our hearts. We can be part of that great kingdom as we sit here while still being part of this failing kingdom, this old kingdom. I wonder if you are part of the new kingdom, the new fortress of God. If you are, how safe you are. It gives us a helpful perspective, doesn't it, on fear and anxiety and the troubles of life. I've told you the story before. Please indulge me because it, I can't think of a better way to illustrate this. In 2008, I was on a mission in Zimbabwe. I stayed with a farmer who had recently been expropriated from a very successful farm. He had four children under the age of 12. He was a Christian man. I said to him, and... 
Remember that 2008 was the year when load shedding started for us and all South Africans were checking their passports, right? And the Zimbos just laughed at us. They've been living with it for years. Get over yourselves, he said to me. He said some memorable things to me, one of which was, if there's no electricity, shut up and buy a generator. You're in, this is where you live. Make peace with it. But that wasn't the illustration I wanted you to hear this morning. <laughs> Here is the thing that he said to me which changed my life in many ways. He said, when I asked him how they cope and how they think of this as Christians and the, the uprooting of their lives, the uprooting of their children, the insecurity of where they lived, his words to me were, my wife and I take the view that if things get worse, at least we've got death to look forward to. It's an astonishing statement, that. And it's a statement that only a Christian can make. Someone who knows about the city of God that lies ahead, the fortress that lies ahead. Third stanza, verses 8 and 9. God is sovereign not only over creation, first stanza. He's not only present, second stanza, but he is sovereign over history. Look at verse 8 and 9. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. This section is bracketed by verse 7 and verse 11, where in both verses God is called not only the God of Jacob, but also the God of hosts, the Lord of hosts. That is, the Lord Almighty in the NIV, the Lord of hosts in the ESV. Hosts is another word for armies. He is the God of armies. He's not only sovereign over nature, but he is the commander-in-chief over the angel forces of heaven. There's some KZNers here this morning, recovering KZNers in some case. Uh, during the riots, we couldn't understand why the government appeared to be sitting on their hands for nearly a week. It took them a week to deploy the SANDF to bring a bit of calm and uh, it, was, it was a real relief in many ways to us when the National Defense Force was deployed uh, to try and uh, bring those riots to an end. But you know, for Christians, the Lord of Angel Armies was already there with his people. He is the Lord of Hosts, the God, God Almighty. And notice the comparison between the nations and God in verse 6. The nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. What does God do? Just lifts his voice and the earth melts. He, can, he is able to exert his power anywhere and everywhere for however long he chooses. No desolation comes without his command, verse 8. We need never to fear that we will go beyond his power to see or to know or to protect or to provide. Whatever he wills comes to pass and nothing comes to pass except what he wills. Do you believe in that God? <clears throat> There's no such thing as chance or luck or fate or coincidence or Murphy's law. 
God and he is absolute and complete in his providence and in his control over every event. That's grounds to have our fear banished from our hearts. The original hearers of the psalm, when they read verse 8 and 9, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. I'm sure they would have remembered how God overcame Pharaoh. Do you remember what God did in Exodus 14? He made the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. He basically gave them a pupville for their chariots as they were chasing the Israelites. The Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against us. How terrifying for them. But what confidence for us. Friends, God is sovereign over history. The events of the world that we read about and hear about in the press, the insecurity of climate change and all of the other things in our world today, nothing has taken God by surprise. He is sovereign over history. No one can make peace like God can. He makes wars cease, verse 9 at the ends of the earth. Do you think war is outside of his control? His past actions in history, his mighty rescue of Israel, is enough for, tr for us to trust his track record. God will have the last word in every situation. <clears throat> we can be comforted in the midst of all the confusion and uncertainty that we find ourselves in at this moment in history. <coughs> If we can take in and meditate on and keep focused on the fact that God is sovereign over nature, verses 1 to 3, and over history, verses 6 to 8, it would change our lives. It would give us courage. I love the beauty of Hebrew poetry here. The structure of the psalm illustrates the point of the psalm. Between the earth melting, verses 1 to 3, and the wars raging, verses 6 to 9, is the tranquil and safe city of God, nestled in the middle of the chaos. That can be you this year. I wanted to read you this quote. It's a bit of an extended quote from one of my theological heroes called Broughton Knox. <clears throat> he was the first principal of George Whitfield College. I don't know if you can see it, it might be too small, but let me read it for us. The infinite power and infinite mind of God, to which the marvels of creation bear witness, mean that he is able to give full attention, care, and protection to every person throughout the world with the same intensity of concern that he would give if he were related to a single individual only. The infinity of God is not overwhelmed by numbers, nor stupefied by detail. God is able to comprehend and provide for, at the same time, the needs of the whole of his creation. Our Heavenly Father gives each of us his undivided attention and his full friendship, as though we were his only friend. Just marvel 
at the God that we worship. Let me conclude. Verses 10 and 11, we get two commands and one promise. Up until verse 9, the psalmist has been speaking, and in verse 10, God himself addresses us. What advice does he have in a world where nothing seems stable, reliable, or safe? When the earth gives way, when the water is boiling, when the nations are raging, what is required of us, of those of us who claim to be Christian? Verse 10, be still, command number one, and know, command number two, that I am God and not you is the implication. Phew, what a relief. Everything is moving in the psalm, isn't it? The mountains even, immovable things that shouldn't move, the earth and the mountains, everything is moving. Be still. The word still can be translated sink or slack, not in the sense of be lazy, but in the sense of relax into the hands of God. You are not God, but he is. Know that he is God. Remember his track record. He can be trusted. In the turmoil that God could fix, but often doesn't, be still. In the chaos that God could bring to order, which often he doesn't, be still. Normally in turmoil, the last thing we are is still. Keep calm and sink. You know, in my previous church, a very sweet little old lady once gave me a coaster for my desk, which I've got here, which says, be calm and listen to metal. I think the psalmist would say, keep calm and sink. That's our motto for the year, right? Sink into his hands. He's with us. You know, six times in the psalm we are told that God is with us. Did you notice it? Verse 1, ever present or very near. Verse 4, in our midst. Verse 7 and 11, God is with us. And verse 10, God is amongst us. Uh, verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. So think back with me for a moment. There was a day when the cosmos behaved chaotically. Do you remember that day? A day when the ever-present great unchanging sun was switched off went dark. A moment of darkness and chaos and uncertainty and anxiety. It was the day of the cross. The day that the God of Jacob, that is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, turned his face from his son and punished him in our place and then vindicated him by defying entropy and raising him from the dead. At which point, God said to the world, in effect, be still. This death thing, I've got it. This problem of sin, 
I've solved it. In the midst of chaos and darkness and uncertainty, God came through. And so we don't have to look back to the Exodus, although it's a good place to look, to show that God can overcome. We don't have to look back to the creation or the flood, although they're good places to look. We can look back to the cross and remember that the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who made the war cease between us and him. Two commands, be still and know, one promise, and with this I'll end. Do you see it? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Do you know what it reminds me of? Therefore, Philippians chapter 2, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, God has exalted Jesus. It's already been done. What we are waiting for is when God will reveal that exaltation of Jesus to everyone. We believe it. We know it. We've seen it in the Word. But not everybody believes it. But a day is coming when it will be irrefutable. We have read the last chapter and we win in the end. Well, Jesus wins. And he is our Lord. Do you know him? If you don't, don't leave today before you do. He's the only safe place. What are you going to do? And I would love to help you with that. If you do, let's go into this year with all of its uncertainties and anxieties, confident that because of Jesus... God is with us.